Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey, what's, what's going on? We interrupt this broadcast to bring you the Britflix Fright Fest Preview Podcast 2016. Welcome to another Britflix Fright Fest Preview Podcast. Today I got with me Philip Escott. Hello, Philip. Hi. And how are you? In uh, is it sunny Cardiff? Uh, it's very windy Cardiff at the moment, but yeah, it, it's been worse recently, so can't complain. What film have we come together on these microphones and headphones to talk about? Uh, we're here to talk about Cruel Summer. Okay. And what was your role on that film? Oh, oh, where to begin? Okay, I was director, writer, uh, co-writer, co-director, uh, producer, editor, all-round monkey, really. Well, that's good, because then that means you can answer all the questions I've got for you, then. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to give the audience a brief synopsis as to what uh, Cruel Summer's about? Yeah, of course. Uh, it's essentially about a day in the life of four teenagers in the UK, undisclosed location, and how a series of unfortunate events can really snowball and escalate into something truly horrific. And, and from, from a kind of conception point of view, what compelled you to, to, to write this, this story? Uh, well, the, the story in itself was inspired by real events that we'd read from, well, it's going back... 2002, 2003? It was a long time ago, and my co-writer and I, Craig Newman, my co-writer, he had been haunted by this this news report about a a couple of teens who had gone into the woods and tortured their so-called friend for, for two days on a row. And it was just sort of that mindset we wanted to get into is how casual violence can just spring from nothing and... The big question was, how did that happen? How did it get to that point? Yeah. And we just want to uh, explore the nature of really casual violence. And so, so when you started constructing that, then where, where, where was, where did the first draft go, and and how did that develop into what you've got now? What would the, uh, the first draft was? Uh, well, I guess it's probably more mean spirited than the actual finished film. Is we we had a bit more character and humanization to the the perpetrators of the crime okay as in the the original draft they were just straight up thugs yeah and yeah we they want to go down that route so we threw in a bit of characterization made them a bit more human and yeah hopefully it comes across that they're just not all mindless use they are actually humans and so, you probably went to school with these kids that sort of realization that these people did a terrible thing, but it could happen to anyone in the certain set of circumstances that can arise. No, no, totally, no, totally. It's sort of, um, it's, we, we, I think it's, um, 
I think it was, I was reading in America, you know, you've got kids who can be, for some reason, can, can be judged because their crime is so bad. It can, they can be tried as adults, even though they're 11 or whatever. And, exactly. And you kind of think, well, that seems a bit bananas, you know. It doesn't mean that we should let kids kill each other for, for, for no, no apparent reason, but it also, there is a different judgment call, isn't there, I think, in terms exactly. of... Exactly. And it's all about context, really. It's just showing that horrible things do happen, mm. but it's not always as bad as you might read in a paper. They only give you the gory, gritty details in, in the media. Mm. But I'm pretty sure there's always something a bit in the background that you're not privy to. Now, t- now take being inspired by a real-life event, how did you then sort of spiral out from there to, to, to create a drama? Well, in terms of the, the spiralling out, as it were, it was just essentially taking the, the core element of Kids in the Woods ending in a horrible crime yeah. and then just having fun with sort of how we get to what happens. So it's just trying to portray a day in, you know, in 80 minutes was quite a lot of fun. And that's where we just had a lot of fun in regards to what they, they do. They're teenagers. They can't really do much. They don't have jobs. They don't have, you know, disposable income. So it's just going back to when we were teenagers and what we used to do and hang around in arcades and just, you know, do, do stupid things, do drugs, alcohol. And it's just trying to humanize these perpetrators, as it were, as much as we can by our experiences. I'm not saying we went out and killed people, but, you know, we, we all done dumb shit as, as children and trying to really humanize the characters in that way. Pretty... It's, that, it's that thing, isn't it, about how kids can be intellectually rigorous, as it were, but emotionally they can, they can be so ill-equipped for life. Um, it means that the, 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 their emotional response to actions and or things done to them isn't necessarily proportionate to what's really happened. Exactly, and they don't really have a, a big understanding or grasp of consequence. Well, I certainly didn't anyway when I, when I was growing up. No, 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 that's, that's, that's a phrase I've, I've read a lot in sort of crime books about sort of what the nature of crime and stuff. So what, let, before we forget, when, when and where can people see Cruel Summer when it's a Fright Fest? Uh, at Fright Fest, it's on the Saturday, the 27th at uh, 11.05, I believe, mm-hmm. in the Discovery Screen. Okay, Discovery Screen 2, yeah? Uh, yeah, you probably know more than me, man. I probably should have checked it out before well, coming this, on this, here. This thing, I, don't, I don't know what it means in terms of venues, but I'm guessing as everything's going to be in the one cinema, um, it'll be pretty easy to find Discovery Screen 2. Um, but yeah, the time was right, the date was right, so that's the important bit. Oh, and tickets are available, and I'll put a link in the show notes, etc., etc. So, oh, nice. um, when you were um, when you were writing this, and, and and I'm interested because because you're co-writing as well. Yeah. Let's let's do the co-writing first. How did you balance the responsibility of each other writing the script? How does how did you work together? Yeah. Well, essentially, we came up with the story together, and then I went away for two weeks and banged out a draft, and then we just get together. List of what worked, what didn't work. I go away, get another draft done, and just repeat. Okay. Um, so, yeah, it was a collaborative sort of uh, process, but it was me doing the, the actual monkey work of bashing away the keys. Got you, got you, got you. So, in that sense, then, when, in those conversations where you were sort of going through the cycle of draft feedback, draft feedback, 
what what was what would, did you consider what was the hardest challenge to resolve in terms of the story you were trying to tell uh, it was pretty fluid to be honest as we were on the the same level pretty much all the way throughout mm. but we we did bump heads a few times in regards to how far we wanted to go in the the uh, the torment sort of arena and how bad we wanted to to go with the crime and yeah. I was more of a a step back and maybe leave it all off screen whereas Craig did want to push things a bit further than I was comfortable with. And it's kind of just coming together and finding the, the middle ground. And how and how do you resolve differences when you're co writing like that? Who, who did, did you have an agreement beforehand to say like, you know, we take it in turns or someone wears the trousers for want of a better expression? No, not really. It was just a case of whoever had the strongest sort of a argument, if you will, and best case, won the day. It's all very logical. Okay, okay. So where, where, where was this film shot then? It was shot in Cardiff, all oh. around South Wales. Rightio, rightio. Um, and um, do you want to, do you want to talk, and, and it, was there any particular locations that you used that were, that were difficult to get, and how did you go about getting them? Uh, yeah, location-wise, we struggled with the woodlands because... Being a, a micro-budget film, trying to find a large estate on our budget was incredibly difficult, and we didn't actually have it until the day before principal photography. We, we lucked out, and my AD and I would do some last-minute scouting just to hopefully find some woods that we could find on our budget. And right on the outskirts of Cardiff, in a place called Kriger, there's this lovely estate that was privately owned by a, a I think it was some sort of fitness camp, but they, okay. they were out of uh, business at that point in time in regards to uh, the, the period was over, their training things. So they, they had a couple of weeks spare, and they said, yeah, have the run of ground. We'll even set up a little canteen, give you a green room. I was like, ah, oh, this is bliss. <laughs> so you, went, so you, went, you went from nothing to five-star luxury in, 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 a, in a phone call. <laughs> With very little money, yeah. <laughs> it was amazing. So when you when you were in that sort of pre-production stage and you're just you know getting ready for that first day principal photography, which aspects of what was on the page seemed sort of almost insurmountable, and and, and so sort of what breaks did you have to get to achieve what you wanted? Uh, in terms of the the script, it was the amount of locations we had. We didn't really think it through logically in that regard. Okay. We just thought, oh, it'd be easy to get every location we needed. And, but then realising we had 10 days to shoot the film in, and this being Wales, it was mostly external, and the good British weather is temperamental, to say the least. Yeah. So, yeah, not really realising how many location changes were needed during a given day and factoring in time, that was the biggest challenge we had, and we didn't actually know about it until we were doing the filming. Okay. So um, going in, we were very naive. We thought everything's going to be fine, and then it wasn't fine. And um, and when when you say you co co directed it, yeah, how how do co directors cast a movie? How did you, how did you go through that process? Well, in terms of casting, I say it's low budget indie film, so we went through websites mostly. We couldn't afford a casting director. Yeah. So it's a case of going on all the websites, the casting sites, putting out ads. And also, Sean Langton, who was one of the producers on the film, he had a contact with Reese Douglas. 
mm-hmm. and through Reese we got Danny Miller because Tom Mullen we approached originally was busy doing another film, and it was Reese who recommended we get in touch with Danny, and it just turned out to be perfect. But Natalie applied through one of the, the adverts online. She sent in uh, an audition tape. We loved it. And literally, as soon as we saw it, and yes, that's her. And Richard, who played the, the autistic Danny, he was the, the hardest one to cast, really, as obviously a, a role like that is going to be very challenging, especially for a young actor. Mm. But we'd seen a short film that Danny was in, and it was just perfect. Sorry, not Danny, Richard. And it was just so perfect. So we, we hit him up directly and just said, look, we got this part. We want you to be it. And that was it. And how, and how do you, how do you, how did you and Craig sort of go about your conversations with your cast? I mean, like you, you say, you, you, with autism, you're dealing with quite a difficult subject. Plus you've got young people being violent towards other young people. So again, that's stretching quite a lot emotionally, isn't it? For someone to, to go, go somewhere nasty as well as go somewhere vulnerable for other oh, people. Absolutely. So how, how did those conversations evolve in terms of what you were expecting your cast to do or what you wanted to achieve? Well, in that regard, that was the benefit of co-directing us. While I was off gallivanting, trying to find last-minute locations, yeah. we had two days of straight rehearsal. So we went through the script. We just literally broke it all down, what they were comfortable with, what they weren't comfortable with. And over those two days, just crunched out everything to get everyone to where they needed to be in terms of mindset, sort of character motivation. And in regards to Richard, who'd already played an autistic person previously, had done so much research for the role already. It was a case of just telling him maybe where to rein it in a bit or if he wasn't emphasising it enough at certain places. But it was all very, very fluid, surprisingly fluid, in fact as they were just all, I guess, on the same page as we were, to put it badly. So when, when you say what they were uncomfortable with, um, what, what, do you, what do, you, do you mean as in, like, you, you, were, you were inviting them to ask you to take stuff out? or was it, Yeah, was it... it's in regards to anything that would make them feel uncomfortable. There's a scene where Richard has to strip naked, and understandably being out in the middle of the woods naked is going to be daunting for anyone, especially a, an 18-year-old man. Yeah. So it's just trying to reassure them that it's going to be done tastefully and it's not going to be exploitative. I get you. But, I get you. So, so yeah. it's, more, it's not about taking it out, it's more about understanding that they need to trust you as opposed to... Exactly, yeah. I see, I see, I see. And, and, and was, 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 that, was, that an e- was that a rough ride or was that an easy thing once you said, look, trust us, it'll be fine? <laughs> but yeah, actually it was. I, I'm not sure if it was because Craig and I are pretty much laid back individuals or if the guys just had so much belief in the in the script that they they knew we weren't messing around with this, we were serious about it. But they, they trusted us one hundred percent and I think the, the evidence really is in the in the film and it's all the better for their performances, which were actually remarkable. Nice one. Now now you you you've already mentioned that you 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 were you sort of your big oversight was maybe the amount of locations you were hoping to to sort of use how many, yeah. how many? How many did you in the ten days? Then how many locations were were you were you setting up in in the end? Hmm, okay, uh, first day we had three location changes. Second day, uh, so yeah, we actually got four day, and this was different parts of the the country as well. So it wasn't just in Cardiff; we were moving around to other cities. Good lord! Yeah. So, so, so you so there was no so. You, 
Everything was on location. There was nothing shot on a soundstage or anything like that. No, all on location. Wow, wow. And all, for the most part, outdoors, aside from four scenes. <laughs> so, <laughs> luckily, we had a very good August for about five days. Then the rain came. Ah, uh, okay. Now, now, in terms of genre, then, um, and Fright Fest being a kind of broad church now with the with the banner of sort of dark heart cinema, where yeah. where does where does Cruel Cruel Summer sit? Do you think? In what what films sit alongside it in your mind? Um, it's definitely in the the psychological drama horror, definitely. So, are you familiar with a film called The Great Ecstasy of Robert Carmichael? I'm not. No, tell me more. No. I- uh, yeah, it's just a brilliant film about um, a small little town in England and a bored teens again. And one Robert Carmichael, who's a promising cello player, gets involved with the, the wrong kids and things go very wrong. Got a brief little appearance from Danny Dyer, who's actually surprisingly very good in that film. No, I do know it now you've said his name, yes. Ah, yeah, he, he plays, um, I think he's a cousin of one of the, the other kids who are involved in uh, Robert Carmichael's life. Uh, and he just gets into some terrible stuff. And it's very much in that vein. Okay, okay. And, do you, and I mean, thematically speaking, is, do you, is, 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 there, is there a moral at the end of this? Or is, 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 it, is it a kind of no-hope sort of message for, 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 uh, for, for your film? It films? was originally, definitely. There was definitely a, a very mean streak. And I think that was one of the, the things that we had to change during editing as... People were unsatisfied, I guess, knowing because at the end of the, the film, we, it was a complete no hopes of a fan. Audience members wanted resolution, which is is fair enough. Mm. So we added on a, a little scene at the end to sort of uh, hopefully give people that resolution. Okay, so we, so you test you tested the film with audiences to see what they thought. Yeah, it was in the script as well, but we didn't really pay much attention to it, which we should have. Okay. And then it came back to haunt us. That's interesting. That's interesting. So, so you kind of got. It was like, what, what was it? Was it so much they wanted the kind of the idea that there was some hope, or did they feel like something was missing? Uh, yeah, it was the the lack of hope. I think that really got to people. I think when you're dabbling with children as well, I think yeah. it, it hits them a bit harder than than normal. Hmm. So, say with a film like Eden Lake, which has a terribly depressing ending, it does. I, think people are more accepting to believe that because it's adults, whereas this is children. I mean, in Eden Lake, it's children as well, but it's the, the adults that really bring home the, the horror at the end of that film, whereas nope. this is not really much interaction with adults. There. It's kind of out of the picture, really, is that was one of the, the keys you want to get across and the, the messages... I know people always say, why did this happen? How could this happen? And it's just a case of, we've got all the scapegoats in there, I guess. We've got alcohol, drugs, violent video games. Mm. But I'm hoping the glaring omission of any sort of parental figures in these kids' lives rings true. And hopefully we can start looking at that as an avenue as opposed to blaming it on video nasties or music or video games. No, no, totally no. It's, uh, it's, um, I remember reading a report about that, that, that the, um, We've, we've, I think we're in the second generation now of of kids who spend inordinate amount of time with only their peers. It's not yeah. so, it's not so much parental advice. It's it's actually adult interaction. You know, generations before would have 
would have just through their normal life had had interaction with adults, and that helps. Exactly. Yeah. And that helps give a, a a sort of broader view of how the world works, as opposed to who you talk to on your BlackBerry Messenger. Absolutely. And, like me and my friends, we all had a uncle who was a cool uncle who is you know about seven to ten years older than you, but still kind of on your level. He was not a full blown adult, but he was pushing adulthood and he'd always take you under his wing. He'd be the one who'd show you the, the violent horror films, of course, but he was a cool uncle and he would every contextualize everything for you when your your parents weren't around or were the ones who were being reasonable and telling you not to watch these things or do that stuff. Mm. No, no, totally, totally. Yeah, no, uh, I had a, a, a kind of wayward next door neighbour who... Uh, <laughs> Who, who I, I look back now in, in horror, but he didn't make me a bad person. Um, but uh, giving giving a fifteen year old four cans of mild when you're babysitting babysitting <laughs> a child is a kind of odd thing to do. But you know, there was no there was no malice meant, um, and uh, I kind of looked up to him as you do when somebody's sort of fifteen years older than you. <laughs> Absolutely. So so in terms of um, it sounds to me like. Um, you, you, you're hoping there is so, you, you, there's, a, there's going to be like a ripple there from the film about maybe pod, prodding people and to say, look, you know, teenagers need sort of parental and adult influence. But also you've got in there a, 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 a more, more universal truth, which is the uh, a universal problem, which is how we understand autism, I suppose. Yes, uh, that um, outsider mentality, I guess, where if people don't fit into what is deemed socially acceptable, then they're target and they they can be scapegoated. Mm. And it's it's bringing that sort of narrow-minded thinking and just shining a light on it and just saying, look how stupid you are if you, you think that way. Yeah, no, because I was listening, there was a Radio 4 show uh, a week or so ago, and it was the first time I've, I've ever learned that um, autism and Asperger's are, are conditions, they're not illnesses, you know, yeah. you're, you're not sick. It's um, it's just the way your brain's wired. It's, uh... Exactly, yeah. So I guess it's it's just because you're not as everyone else is, uh, you just have a bullseye on you, and people will go after you just to you know, deflect light from them, I'm guessing, because they don't want to be mocked. They don't want to be on the receiving end of bad jokes. So if there's someone they can go after, they're going to go after them. No, and, and and teenagers particularly are, are little shits. In the cruelest, of, absolutely. In terms of the uh, Lord of the Flies attitude absolutely. towards who wins and who doesn't win. Um, and like you say, often it's coming from a place of their own fear as opposed to a, a point of view of strength. And again, that mixture of intellectually understanding how the world works but emotionally having no idea. Um, yeah. And we so, had... Um, sorry, sorry. Uh, there was um, a little trifecta for the three perpetrators where Nick is pretty much everything that's wrong with uh, wayward youth but Calvin he was more of the the brains he's the the one who thinks things through he doesn't want to do it he's he's the brain of the youth and then there's Natalie who's the heart and she's literally following her heart because she's so enamored and in love with Nicholas who just happens to be absolutely insane <laughs> so that's where we got the sort of spectrum of uh, emotions through what are essentially the villains of the film. I got you, I got you. So, um, 
without giving too much away, what what sort of aspect of the film are you? I mean, I'm guessing I'm, you're going to be here, aren't you? At, uh, at Friday, I am. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a is it a is it a world premiere for you? It is. So oh, it's going to be nerve wracking and absolutely big, terrifying. Big capital letters there. Um, always exciting to see that word. Oh, those words, sorry, world premiere. It's, <laughs> a, it's a big moment in every filmmaker's um, journey, I, I guess. Um, and um, so if you're going to be there with you, the, what are you most excited, what aspect of the film are you most excited to see with an audience? Uh, that's the problem because it's such a, a dark film. It's not going to be a film where people walk away feeling good about themselves or happy. So I'm kind of dreading it in that sense, but I know... It's the perfect audience for the film because they understand, as Fright Fest says, it's a dark, hard cinema. Mm. Not everyone wants to go and have a, a laugh ride for 90 minutes. They want to be con- confronted by different things and hopefully feel different emotions to what they would see in a mainstream film. Mm. So I'm interested in that regard. But, yeah, it, it's nerve-wracking because I know it's not a entertaining film, if that's the right term mm. it's not a film that you can enjoy enjoy if that makes any sense it's no, of course it does, course it does. Kind I mean, an ordeal film yeah and there's the, the, the and that's you know there's there's a there's a there's a there's a place for that in cinema for sure because um you know through through fiction we can we can confront real issues you know it's not a it's not an unusual way to go about it. you think of something like um paddy constantine's tyrannosaur absolutely i mean you wouldn't you wouldn't want to watch it on repeat would you but um but having seen it, and I've seen it probably a couple of times now, you know it's 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 powerful to be confronted with that, and it makes you reminds you that the world isn't you know all peaches and cream. And 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 let's be honest, you know, as much as the phrase you know there's now stranger than folk, you know, there's nothing more horrible than real life sometimes as well. Yeah, and that was the the big issue we we wanted to get across when we went in is that this is real life horror. It's not going to be zombies or spirits. This is your next door neighbour, or you know your your family. As it's Britflix, and uh, although you are a British film, and you 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 would be covered whether it was Frightfest or not, um, because it's Frightfest, we like to get uh, people to recommend as a British horror film, whether that be an absolute Stonewall classic that everyone should watch, or one that's gone under the radar maybe in recent years that you think people should uh, check out. And if you're checking IMDb now, that's uh, a lot of research you're doing. No, I just have to get the name of the director. Go on, go on. What's, what's the film then? Uh, the film is Scream Time. It's a, an anthology from the 80s that was directed, well, co-directed by Michael Armstrong, the man who did uh, Mark of the Devil. Okay. And, yeah, there's a brilliant little segment in there called Dream House, which is a truly terrifying little short film. And, yeah, I just think not enough people have seen the anthology, but that little segment in particular, well, little is ha-ha, is just so brilliant. And I believe it's actually remade into a feature length a couple of years back, but it was pretty oh, terrible. Okay. Well, look, but I mean, the- I've not seen it, so I'm glad you recommended it. It's an anthology I wasn't aware of, so I will uh, I will endeavour to check that out. Yeah, as well, uh, people just think Mike Armstrong... Gave us Mark the Devil, but no, that screen time is definitely underrated and a lot of fun. The first two shorts in particular are great. The first one's about this crazy guy who's a Punch and Judy sort of a puppeteer mm. and goes off the rails, and yeah, it's, it's really fun. Nice one, nice one. Well, look, thanks for that. 
So, uh, let's remind people then, when can they see the film? Uh, it's Saturday the 27th at 11.05, I believe, in Discovery Screen 2, as you correctly informed me. Well done, well done, well remembered. <laughs> well, look, thank you very much for coming on to talk about your film. and the making no, it's of absolutely that my film. pleasure. Uh, I look forward to seeing it myself. I've not, not yet watched it, but I will do. Um, oh, I hope you enjoy it. Let me know what you think, and hopefully we can grab a beer while uh, I'm at the festival. Indeed. I'll drop. Uh, you've got my uh, details and stuff, so um, drop me a text or call. I'm going to be there every day, so um, oh, it'd be lovely to, if nothing else, shake your hands and meet you in person. That would be my pleasure. All right, fellow. Well, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. If you don't already subscribe to Britflix, just sign up for free at iTunes. Hey? What's going on? If you don't already subscribe to Britflix, just sign up for free at iTunes and you'll get the next episode right after we release it. Or follow at Britflix on Twitter for links to stream from on the website. This has been a Britflix Flight Fest Preview Podcast 2016. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.